Dear fellow redeemed, the Apostle Paul was on trial. He had already spent some time in prison, and before his life would be done, before his end would come at the end of a Roman sword, he would spend still more time in prison. But this time, this time he is on trial, and he gets to come out of prison for just a little while. And he stands there before Agrippa, and he stands there before Festus, the Roman official in the region. And they ask him, what is this that we hear? Because the local Jewish leaders have brought you here, or Jesus, or rather Paul, ended up there because the Jewish leaders were upset with Paul and, most precisely, what it is that Paul was preaching. And you've got to think that perhaps a number of different thoughts flashed through Paul's mind. Maybe he had thought about the time of his youth, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and learning what it meant to be a Pharisee and learning the Word of God. Maybe he thought back to his youth and learning at the knee of his mother or his father. Maybe he thought, you know, if I, it's a kind of nice day out today, and um, it's not a deep and dank and dingy dungeon. It's not a prison cell. Maybe if I can just massage the truth a little bit or say things the right way, then they'll let me go. It was all a misunderstanding. We're sorry. Go on your way. Conversely, maybe Paul was thinking about his appeal to Caesar, which would come shortly after this reading today from the book of Acts, the, the appeal to Caesar that he would appeal his case to the highest authority in the empire, thinking about all of the options. And perhaps there at the back of his mind, the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And all those thoughts rolling around in his mind, Paul settles on the one truth that is all he has to stand on, that one blessed truth that could not be overturned, that this Messiah Jesus was the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had said and that he had risen from the dead as this unchanging fact that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And the unchanging fact that if Jesus rose from the dead, that meant all of his preaching and all of his suffering and all of his effort would be worthwhile. But if Christ had not been raised, then his and ours would be a worthless, useless, futile, hopeless faith. And so as he stands there before Agrippa and Festus, he says, it is because of my preaching I told them that they should repent and turn to God while also doing works that are consistent with repentance. I've had help from God right up to this day, and so I stand testifying to both small and great. I am saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. And he stands there in the word of God, despite the allure of saying something else, of soft-pedaling his message, and being able to walk free. 
he stands there and he speaks the truth about the resurrection of Jesus, even though that will likely only end up with greater difficulty, greater persecution. And maybe, just maybe, those words from Jesus, the encouragement to acknowledge him before men, and that, that pointed element of the law, that if you disown me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And whatever it was, the word of God together encouraged Paul to speak out clearly and forcefully, despite the fears that may have been in his own heart, despite what his sinful flesh wanted to do, which would be to keep things quiet. And we see Paul standing there, and we recognize, you know, that's actually what all Christians have, in a sense, been called to do. That's what you were committed to at your baptism, and that is the, the clear testimony, the clear witness that you and I have been committed to our entire lives. That, yes, the purpose and goal of God's church is to give God glory, and God is glorified when Christians speak. And in contrast, maybe this is your experience too, I've never been put on trial <laughs> for my faith, at least not yet. I've never been threatened with having my freedom or my livelihood taken away from me or my house and family taken away from me. But I see Paul standing there and I compare myself even to, to his equally sinful man his ability to stand there in confidence and say, you know what, I'm here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by comparison, I recognize the words of Jesus, whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And by comparison, maybe this is the same likewise true for you. I think of the times when I have refrained from speaking, whether it was, you know, something uncomfortable, something I just didn't want to address. Maybe the times when I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll talk to them eventually. And I'm, I don't want to upset the apple cart today. I don't want to hurt their feelings today. I don't want to, to make things more difficult. And where is our heart? When called to bear witness to Jesus, when he has given before you an opportunity to speak of his grace, where is our witness and what does it look like? It is far simpler and our flesh is far too frail that I, I admit, and this is likewise possibly true for you as well, that um, of all the opportunities I've had, precious few of them have been utilized. And that word from Jesus ought to apply to me too. Whoever disowns me before men, I will also disown him before my Father in heaven. And part of me would say, well, I'm not actually disowning him. It's just, it's just a, a rational cost-benefits analysis here. I won't have the opportunity to speak again if I say something forceful now. If I speak up now, then what opportunity will I have in the future? A cost-benefits analysis, well, you know, I've got all this time that the Lord has given to me, and I've got all these responsibilities, and, and maybe if I 
if I just don't do these right now, if I let fall some that Lord, our Lord has given here at this church and I do something else instead, I can still explain it away as something that is worthwhile. Or even, you know, of all the time and the effort and the heart that we pour into working together as a Christian congregation under the word of our God, maybe it's somebody else's turn to step up and I shouldn't do so much. And even if it doesn't take the shape of actively disowning Jesus, when compared with, when compared with even our, our fellow blood-bought sinner, the Apostle Paul, all we can say is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy that Jesus has limited himself to building his church and extending his influence through the testimony of Christians, through Christians who speak up. But that's the cool thing, that our Lord does have mercy. That first Easter evening, he came and said, peace be with you. And he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And with those words, he has entrusted into your heart and your hands and your, your words the authority to speak on his behalf, the authority to speak to spiritual reality as it is, <laughs> the authority to speak to things unseen with your own words so that you can say to somebody, yes, your sin is forgiven because Jesus has done it. And also, you can say, dear friend, your sin is not forgiven. And you hear that and you just kind of scratch your head. Wait a second. Um, that was in our, our gospel reading. John chapter 20, the last part of verse 23. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Oh boy. You know, Pastor Hagen, I get it. You know, I, I want to speak up for my Lord. But the E in W-E-L-S, evangelical, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, that E means gospel-oriented, right? And what's so gospel about telling somebody that their sin is not forgiven? Didn't Jesus die for all sin? And that is the task to which you and I have been committed to testify to spiritual reality that behind me is the, the historical event that we celebrate, that Jesus rose from the dead, that in front of us is where that resurrection forgiveness is given to you and to me. And in that heart of yours, this Holy Spirit has done the work of creating a faith that receives that forgiveness. But Jesus also said that, that forgiveness is forfeited through unbelief. And sometimes that unbelief shows up as, as persistent sin. You know, sometimes it's just outright saying, you know, I don't believe that. I don't want to agree with that. And Jesus says that he'll back up your statement, your testimony, no matter how personally difficult it may be. He'll back that up with his power. That if you forgive someone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven with the purpose of rescuing that person who is trapped in sin so that they see what it is and where they really stand with our Lord, so that they really see the danger in which they stand, the danger that 
if Jesus comes while they are still in that state of unbelief, or if their life happens to end in that state, then they will be lost forever. Despite the fact that Jesus died and rose to forgive the sins of all, equally true that that forgiveness is forfeited through unbelief. And all of a sudden, maybe Paul seems a little bit more of a sympathetic character where we see him and all these thoughts whizzing around his own mind, all these thoughts of, wouldn't it be nice to be free? Or not, not even free. Maybe if I just um, back off a little bit. I don't have to go full throttle all the time. Maybe if I just back off what I say a little bit, they'll let me go, and I can just go somewhere else. The temptation to deny what he had been saying. The temptation to even hide what he had been saying in his words. And what does he do? Recognizing the peace that Jesus has won for him and committed into our hearts and his, he says, I am here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, peace be with you, and he came back a, a week later, when they were still locked in that same upper room, he came back a week later and repeated himself, dear Christian, peace be with you. Peace. Even though there are all these conflicting emotions and ideas, the thought of maybe our own personal failures, the thought of our own personal fears, of what is this going to look like tomorrow or next week or next year or next decade, peace be with you. That you, dear Christian, have nothing to fear because Jesus has risen from the dead. That you, dear Christian, um, have nothing to fear because this resurrection has been breathed into your life through water on the head and holy baptism, through the taste at your tongue of holy communion. You think of it this way. In, um, in a lot of bigger cities or different cities that kind of grew up differently, they often have a train that will take people from like the outer suburbs down to downtown where they happen to work. And in Toronto, um, where my mother-in-law lives, she lives, you know, on a good day if there were no traffic, about 30 minutes from her, her downtown office where she would normally work. If she were to try to drive that, it would be a two and a half hour trip on, on any given day just because the traffic is horrible there in Toronto and it is what it is but they installed this high-speed train system from the outer areas to downtown. They call it the GO train. And so rather than two and a half hours on the highway one way, she just hops on the train for a 40-minute or an hour-long train ride. And I think of you know, her standing at the platform there and waiting. And you can hear the train coming, and you can hear the whistle, and you can hear the clack and clatter of the, the tracks. And that's kind of where you and I are at. That we see and recognize that our Lord is coming soon to return in judgment on the world. 
And just like the commuters at the train, they are, they're waiting expectantly and looking forward to that day when that train will come, even if in, in their case it means nothing more than arriving at work at time, on time. And you and I encourage one another, standing on this platform, dear Christian, have peace and take heart. Our Lord is coming soon. Dear Christian, your sin is forgiven. Dear Christian, Jesus has risen. But together, congregationally and as a church body, we also stand there watching for those who may have fallen off the platform, watching for those who might be in danger on the tracks as the train gets closer. And you and I reach out to them because we have friends on the tracks. That when Jesus comes at the end of time, it will not be a joyous day for them, but rather a day of judgment and wrath. How can we give testimony to them today? How can we speak of the peace which Jesus has won for you and for me? To say, dear Christian or dear friend, if you want peace, I know where to find it. If you want life, I know where to find it. And it's, it's grounded in this event that you and I will also participate in one day. And the hope, the reality that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so also I and you with your body and soul will be rejoined together in a perfect and glorified way. But until then, until then, we have the opportunity to, yeah, give testimony to the truth that Jesus has won forgiveness for you and for me. That's what we do here. We encourage one another as we, as we sing together, as we see each other across the Lord's table. That's what we do here as we, as we find ways to gather together with our Christian brothers and sisters and to, to talk about and pray for those that we love and care about, to think about what, what can we do to communicate this message and to gain an audience to share this message that Jesus still comes to his people and he says, peace be with you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Peace be with you. Don't worry about the personal cost to yourself. Peace be with you. Don't worry about what's going to happen in a year or 10 or 30 or 50 years from now. Peace be with you today. And by his grace, as Christians take that to heart, and Christians speak of the peace that you and I have with God, God continues to do his work of convicting sin, of rescuing people from the tracks as the judgment of Jesus comes closer. Our Lord continues to do his work of building up Christian hearts and homes so that, yeah, in this place, 10, 30, 50, 70 years from now, Lord willing, we'll be able to still have a Christian church preaching faithfully here for people that you and I might never meet this side of heaven, but who will one day rejoice with us in the peace that Jesus has won for them and for us. That's the nature of your words today and the impact that they can have tomorrow. Because those words speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That yes, 
Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.